Oh, we're, we're, it's Christmas time, right? I hope you know, um, like as you drive around, it's Christmas time. Uh, lights are up. Uh, your, tree, your tree's up. Is your tree up? Okay, listen, anyone not have their tree up? And you're just like, uh, I'll wait till December 23rd. And then the tree goes. Yeah, um, uh, listen, listen, no shame, no shame. And here's why. Uh, our tree is up, but uh, our Christmas lights are not up. Anyone, have, you have your Christmas lights up? Anyone not yet? Anyone hoping the weather just stays terrible and you're like, I just want it to be so bad that I can't go out and do it. Yeah, so uh, my, uh, on my street, uh, it's not really a competition, but, but my neighbors like to remind me that I'm the last one to put my lights up whenever they are. And, 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 and then they get my kids against me. It's, um, if there's a house on your street for sale, let me know about it because I'd like to... Leave um, and it's Christmas time, right? It's Christmas season, lights are up. And, and for, I think probably for many of us, this is probably your favorite time of the year where it's, it's holiday and it's lights and then Christmas is coming and it's Christmas music and stores are decorated. And, and it's like, it's almost like the entire, like the entire country, probably the entire world changes. Like it, it just changes even how it looks and the, th- and the sounds and, and like you go shopping and like you're hearing Christmas music and, and it's, so, it's, it's so great, but it's so weird that, you know, you're, you're shopping wherever you are and, and they're certainly not, like depending where it is, it's probably not a Christian business, yet they're playing songs about like Jesus in a manger and like joy to the world and you're going, this is kind of cool, but also you're just, I'm like, you're just trying to get me to buy stuff, but, but. People, like as people are walking like stores, they're hearing the gospel sung to them in stores that are anti the gospel. Isn't that crazy? It's so weird and it's so, but it's also so cool that, that like even in Christmas season, the gospel is penetrating and like, and like getting itself in, like involved in people's lives even without, like without people knowing it. Now, what does that mean though? Because here's the deal, uh, every year, Christmas music comes, and, and I'm also gonna guess your favorite Christmas music is, is sung by non-Christians, right? Right? When, when we do in our house, we say, uh, we say uh, pardon my language right now, I don't wanna me, me, like, upset you, but I, we say, Alexa, did anyone's stuff go off right now? Paul, okay. In our house, that's like a swear word, you don't say it unless you mean it. <laughs> We'll say, Alexa, play Christmas music, and right away, right away, it doesn't even matter like what, like what playlist it is, just, the, just play us Christmas music. Mariah Carey, is the, it doesn't matter what, like what playlist or what song, it's just like, oh, and then the, 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 you, know, you know the tone, I don't even wanna try to pretend to be Mariah. But it comes on, and you're going, oh, it's Christmas season. You're like, yeah, but it's Mariah Carey. Yeah, but, but it's Mariah Carey Christmas. It's different, it's different. And, and, and like Christmas is everywhere and it's great and it's great. But what does it mean? We're in this series and we're calling it Christmas is Hope because Christmas is not about as much as we love the music and, you know, and the Christmas carols and the songs and, and we'll be, even during worship, we like throw in a bunch of Christmas songs and like, oh, great, let's, we want to, we want to sing these and it's wonderful and it's amazing and it's great. But what, it, like, what are we celebrating? So we just, um, we just finished this, this series of 10 commandments and we went through uh, the beginning of the year, the first four commandments, and then we went through the final six commandments. And, and, and at the end, I don't know about you, but like every week, every week we're looking at the 10 commandments and, and, and both like as a church, but even for myself, 
I'm looking at these saying, man, I, I am not good at this one. Not that it's about perfection. Of course it's not. No, none of us can reach perfection. Yet at the same time, these are the things that God says, like, this is what's important to me. And, and I want you, I want you, I want you to be holy in these areas. And I'm looking at, at all of them going like, man, there's a time in my life where I failed at that one. I failed at that one. I'm currently failing at, at these seven. <laughs> and you're like, like, oh, all right. And if, and if you're not careful, here's what can happen. And this was not my fear, but just like a, a, just a kind of in the back of my mind, this was my, my concern, is that, is that every week we would feel beat up by the Ten Commandments. And, and by the end of them, you would, you would go, all right, I've been beat up 10 times. I've had enough. <laughs> Stop beating me up. And, and, and two things happen in there. Like two things are true. Number one, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. You should feel it. You should feel a little bit of conviction or a lot of bit of conviction because that is the Holy Spirit saying, hey, like as great as you think you are, you're not. It is not, like we should not run or turn away from any kind of guilt that we feel because it's, it's, it's literally shining a spotlight on, on our sin and our rebellion before God. So we should feel it. Number two, number two. The law, as Paul says, is a tutor, is a teacher. It exists both to show us our sin and to point us to something else. It, when we go through the Ten Commandments, we end and we think, oh, okay, great, now what? I'm just, you know, I'm, I've got all these other things going on in my life that I'm not doing great at, and now I go to church and I've told them I'm not doing great in these areas either. Yeah, that's number one, that's true. Number two, that's not the end. This morning is, the, is what we could call as, is the, the answer or the culmination or the solution to the, the, the Ten Commandments problem. The problem of us trying to live out perfectly the Ten Commandments, knowing that we can't. This morning, we see this. The gospel of Jesus is ultimately about forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean anything unless you realize what you have to be forgiven of. When, when I, I, I often, you know, try to talk to people just, you know, just whether it be at like sports things or just, up, you know, around town or at restaurants or whatever, or, you know, on a flight. And, uh, and one of the things that, that, that over the years I've realized is um, whatever, whatever internal guilt people used to once feel about like sin is almost gone. That, that there's, there, really is, there really is a level of, no, 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 well, you call it sin, but I, you know, it's just personal choice. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Well, yes, of course. So can you blame me for being not perfect? Well, of course, of course not. Like none of us are perfect. So who are you to judge me? And that's kind of the mentality. And so how does that person, how does the person who says, I don't, Listen, my, you call it sin, whatever, you religious people, but I'm, I'm just living out my lifestyle, my choice, and what does it matter to you of how I live, right? How does that person even feel the need to be forgiven without the realization that they are indeed sinful before a holy God? And so the Ten Commandments brings us back to that point to show us, to show you, to show me, you are indeed sinful. You, you, you are rebellious and, and, and you, you aren't perfect, but also, but also 
you do things willingly in your rebellion, in my rebellion against the Lord. And so, and so Jesus comes and the gospel is ultimately, it's about a ton of things, but it's ultimately about forgiveness. So, so this morning, we're talking about forgiveness. And this is probably, this is probably one of the, one of the areas we take for granted. If you've been in church for a while, you take for granted because we hear forgiveness all the time. And then, but, but also, when someone asks you, well, what do you, like, how do you get forgiven? You can get tongue-tied and say, oh, man, what was that? Oh, I've probably heard 13,000 sermons on this, and I can't remember any of them right now. And so how, how, does, someone, how does someone receive forgiveness? What, does the, what is the gospel? If someone were to sit down and you say, I go to church and, and well, what do you guys talk about? Well, it's, the, it's about the gospel of Jesus. All right, well, what is the gospel? Oh boy, I didn't think you'd ask me that question. Um, shoot, uh, it's about Jesus and something happened and you know, just go to church and listen to the pastor. <laughs> and, and for a lot of us, that, that's almost like kind of where we feel like that's the extent of of how we would interact with this question. So this morning, I hope, I hope to, to show us like the thread of forgiveness throughout the Old Testament that finally finds, like eventually leads to the culmination in Jesus. So, so this series is gonna feel different because it's, it's about Christmas, absolutely. But we're not looking at Christmas passages. We'll look at, we'll of course look at Christmas verses and like Christmas referring to the birth of Jesus, but, but we're looking at what it means. So, so every Christmas we think about and when you hear about the birth of Jesus, but, but all right, but, but what does that bring? And what was the point of it? And, and what would that have felt like? And what did it sound like? And what did it look like to the people who heard these prophecies, but didn't, didn't experience yet the birth of Jesus? So this morning, we launch into this Christmas is hope and, and looking at what Christmas means without looking at like the specifics of this happened, then this happened, then this happened, but instead saying, but why? But why did all of this happen? First and foremost, let's establish the gospel is ultimately about forgiveness. In Ephesians uh, chapter one, Paul writes this, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, there it is, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, and this is great, he says that he lavished on us. That God lavished his grace, he gave it all, like, like he just gave us so much grace and all of that came about because and through Jesus, the redemption we have and the forgiveness of sins. By being, this, this redemption term conveys this idea that we're being set free by paying a price, that someone paid a price, but it's not just transactional. It isn't just that God paid this price, or Jesus, God sent Jesus to pay this price for you, but also that he lavished us with grace. That he, he gives us an, an, an immeasurable amount, an immeasurable depth of his grace and love for us. So, okay, so let's talk about the promises of God and how they find their, like, their fulfillment in Jesus. So uh, we're giving you the punchline before the joke that it all ends with Jesus and it literally is about forgiveness in Jesus, but, but what leads up to that point? So the first thing we see is that God promised long before Jesus, he promised to send himself to us. In Isaiah chapter seven, this is, a, this is one, maybe the one Christmas verse we'll look at this morning. It says this, 
Isaiah writes this. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And then here it is, ready? This is greeting cards and songs. And the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah presents this promise of, of, of unparalleled intimacy. Here's what we mean by that. In no other religion is there a promise that the deity will come and be with you. In fact, in all of the other religions, in fact, we, we've been looking at this at the various first Wednesdays, it is incumbent on us to do something for the deity, for the God, to earn our way, to prove ourselves, whatever it may be, to remove ourselves of desire or whatever, whatever the religion is. There, there's something that we have to do. But what we see in the scriptures, what, what Isaiah tells us is, no, 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 it's not about you having to like do something. Instead, here's what you're gonna see, ready? There's gonna be a child born and they will call him Emmanuel. Now, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, Isaiah was written 700 years before the birth of Jesus. So this isn't, they're not writing this back into it after the birth and being like, oh, you know what would be great is if we made up a promise. Like we have like scrolls and, and, and books of Isaiah that are, that are dated to, predated to the birth of Jesus. And, and so the Old Testament is already in existence long before Jesus comes. So this is in there pointing to this, this child. How do we know this child is in fact pointing to Jesus? And when we say that, and we take it for granted, like you hear someone say it and you say, oh, well, that sounds about right. Well, Matthew tells us, he makes this connection for us. The first chapter of Matthew, he writes this, the virgin quotes this very verse. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel. And then he adds this part. And this part isn't in the verse, but he adds this. Let me just tell you what this means. This means, which means God with us. That this child will be God with us. That one of the promises of the Old Testament about this coming Messiah, this coming child that we're going to see more about here in a minute, is that the first thing that this, that, that God will be with us. He's not going to be a distant observer. It's not, it's not like, you know, deism where you, there's a God up there and he's looking down at the world and be like, ah, you guys are on your own. This instead is God saying, I'm going to actually dwell with them. That there's going to be a birth of a, of a child. And through this child, I will be with my people. This is God saying, I'm going to become one of them. Ooh, that is unheard of. That is very different. The next thing we see is that God promised to give us peace and healing. Also in Isaiah, again, 100, 700 years before the birth of Jesus we read this, Isaiah 53. But he, this, this, what Isaiah calls this suffering servant, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, if you don't know the gospel, that's it. Written long before the birth of Jesus, we hear the gospel. That the iniquity of all of us is laid on him and that, that the peace that we get, this peace that Paul calls, like the, the, the peace that transcends all understanding that we get was because 
of him. This punishment that brought us this peace was laid on him. And by his wounds, you can experience healing. And, and not just physical healing. This is the healing of the entire person. This is spiritual healing. This is, this is the, 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 the completion of all that you are and all that you should be. Not, all, not, not as you currently are, but rather, this is like the, God's ideal. This is what humanity should look like and will look like. This is, what, this is what humanity without sin and without perfection looks like. And he says, I'm gonna give it to him. And it's gonna come through this suffering servant. That was, again, prophesied 700 years before Jesus would be born. Through Jesus, we can experience this peace and this holistic healing that touches every aspect of our lives. And then we see in the Old Testament, God, he promises a new covenant. And what do you know? This new covenant is one of forgiveness. Now, here's what's crazy. Again, if you've been in church for a while, you, this is, you're going, okay, so great, what's new? We talk about this, you know, we, we take communion here once a month. We take it regularly and we say, all right, we're gonna remember again, the, the, today is communion Sunday. We're gonna remember the Lord's table. Great, we're told to do this. This is one of the ordinances of the churches. It's one of the things that we do. And, and this next year, I'm excited because we're gonna even like lean more into communion. So if you like communion, great. If you don't like communion, what's wrong with you? No, <laughs> but, but that's one of the things we do. And we say like, all right, and this, this new cup is a new covenant in my blood. And we like, yeah, it's a new covenant. And we're a new covenant people. But hold on, I want you to like do what you can to put yourself back, go back in time hundreds of years and imagine you, you are a Jew living under the old covenant, under the Old Testament law. And there's prophecy about this Messiah coming and he's gonna change everything. But that's so far away and you don't know what that, like what it's gonna look like. And, and then you get this prophecy about a new covenant. Listen, if, if you don't, just to give you kind of set the table here a little bit, to give you context, this would be and would sound like blasphemy. How could you say a new covenant? We have our covenant. How can anything, how can any covenant be better than the covenant God gave us and that he made with us, his chosen people? We have a covenant. We don't need a new one. What? Why? Why? Why would you talk about it as though we need a replacement. So on walks Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet. And he says this in Jeremiah chapter 31. He's now prophesying on behalf of the Lord, speaking, and this is what he says. Now imagine you're a good Jew, faithful Jew, following the Old Testament, following the Old Covenant law. Like, like that is the goal. That's how you live out your faith. That's how you, like, that's how you earn favor with God. That's how you prove your faith. Okay, and then on walks Jeremiah, and he says this. The days are coming, declares the Lord. And he's saying this probably you know, loudly in front of people. When I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Whoa, what do you mean? A new, hold on, Jeremiah, we don't, we don't like most of what you say. We really don't like what you just said. A new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. And then we get this. Here's why God has to make this new covenant. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. And look at this language that, God adds, though I was a husband to them. God has relationship language here, declares the Lord. These people, 
Here's what God says. They committed adultery because they left me for other gods, for other idols. They betrayed their covenant with me, their husband. God looked at this language and says, all right, my people are, are the bride and I am their husband. And they broke their covenant over and over again. And he, and he says, I, I literally led them by hand out of Egypt. Like, all right, guys, come with me. Like a tender, like a, a tender husband leading, leading his bride to a new location, a new place. Like, hey, I'm, all right. And, and he's doing this. All right, I'm going, I'm going to be in relationship with you and I'm not ever gonna leave you or forsake you. And, and, and they, being the, the bride, say, great, wonderful, awesome. No, that's not what they say. They say, oh, it was actually better in Egypt. We wish we were back there. What, I just, I saved you. I saved you from the slavery and the bondage that you were in. Yeah, but at least they fed us. Hmm. And then we see over years and years and decades, this story fall, like, fall, like unfold in the Old Testament that, that, that the, the people continue to turn their backs on God. And he says, they, they broke their covenant with me, their husband. Now, I will not be, even if they are, if, if people are unfaithful, I will still be faithful. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm starting a new covenant. It's not gonna be the same one that they were in, that they were under, because clearly they can't keep it. So I'm gonna start a new covenant. Enter now, what is this new covenant like what will it be like and, and and who will it be for and how will we know it's here again this is hundreds of years before what like what you know as the new covenant they don't know anything about this here's what it says this is the covenant i will make with my people the with the people of israel after that time declares the lord i will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts i will be their god and they will be my people. No longer, look at this, no longer will they, they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And here it is. This is the new covenant now. For I will forgive their wickedness and will do something else and will remember their sins no more. They're looking at this forward saying, well, that will be quite a day when the law of God is written on people's hearts and they no longer need a priest to intercede on their behalf to teach them the ways of the Lord. They don't need a prophet to come say because God says, no, 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 every one of them, every one of this new people will know me personally. They won't need to be told, hey, you should know him through this person or I'll teach you how to know him. Instead, he says, no, no, you have direct access to me. This was unheard of. This was unheard of in the Old Testament. You don't do that. This is why when Jesus comes on the scene and he says things like, my father, and he prays to his father, and he says, the father and I are one, they pick up stones because they're like, you don't get to say that. You don't get direct access to the father. You have to go through one of his approved priests who just happens to be us. <laughs> oh, coincidence. This new covenant gets rid of that whole system and starts a new system in which everyone has access to God directly. Ooh. And God says, I will transform them. I will forgive them of their wickedness and I will forget their sins altogether. What? 
I will remember their sins no more. Where there's plenty of verses about this in which God says that he will, he will like separate his sins as far as the east is from the west. All right, I will wash them as white as snow. Like all this language about remembering their sins no longer, forgiving and then literally forgetting their sins, not holding it against them forever. Ooh. All right. If you're an Old Testament Jew hearing this, I'm ready for this new covenant. When does this start? Is this, is, Jeremiah, is this like next week, next month? When the New Year's coming up. Is it the new year? When does this start? When does this thing start? Oh, no, not for your lifetime or your kids or your grandkids or their grandkids or their grand. It's gonna be many, many generations before the, oh, okay. And they don't know when it's happening or what it will look like. We look back and see the thread, but that for them, it's forward. For us, it's behind. And then here's what we see. This is a, a, a great, there's a great speech that Peter gives. So now we, we, we move to the new covenant, this invitation to a fresh start, a, a, literally a new way to understand and relate with God. Here's what we see. The promises of God can be yours, you guessed it, through Jesus that all of these promises find their end and their culmination in the person of Jesus. Hence, Christmas is hope for forgiveness because Christmas is the birth and the beginning of the life of Jesus in which he will come and say, I'm going to do all of these things. I'm the one you've been waiting for. Here's what we see. We're gonna find out now from Peter how God does all of this. In Acts chapter three, in the beginning of Acts, um, there's a, a lame man who was healed and all of a sudden he's walking and, uh, and Peter and John are, they, are there and they heal him in the name of Jesus. And it says that, that uh, verse 11, it says this. While the man held on to Peter and John, first of all, wouldn't you do that too? Imagine you couldn't walk, maybe from birth. Crippled. Right, or, or you, you, you simply your your limbs didn't work, and all of a sudden these guys show up, and they say, "In the name of Jesus, we, we've seen Jesus do this. Hey, stand up, pick up your mat, and let's walk. It's time to walk." And they heal this man. What do you do? I'm 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 not sure that this is permanent. I'm not letting go of this guy. I am not letting go of these two guys who just restored the function to my legs I've never felt before. So. We, we get this detail. We see that this is exactly what he did. We see this detail in the scriptures. While the man held on to Peter and John, and they're probably holding him, he's probably crying, of course, absolutely. He's emotional. There's probably people around, maybe his friends or family are going, how is, it, how is this possible? How could, you be, how could this thing have happened? While the man, this man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place Solomon call, uh, called Solomon's Colonnade. They're, they're, we're, they're in this place and they're like, everyone, you gotta see this, you gotta see this. Come, like, this is crazy. He, we all know him. We all know that this was the guy. And now look at him, he's standing and he can walk and, and, and these guys are embracing and he's never, been, he's never been able to walk before. And when Peter saw this, he saw all these people show up. You know what he does? He breaks out a sermon. He's ready to go. Now, Peter, by trade, okay, before you think he went to seminary and he's, you know, this great orator, Peter was a guy who caught fish. He probably fished more than he caught fish, right? He's probably like most of us. We, we like going fishing. We talk about fishing. But how much fish do we actually catch? You know, n- not as much as we'd like. <laughs> and P- that, that's his trade. 
This guy was a fisherman and he is ready to preach. Okay, any fishermen in here, right? You guys like to fish? You know what you, know what, you, know what you just heard? You should have a sermon ready to preach. At any moment, there might be a crowd who shows up. God might put someone in your life and they might ask questions and you have to be ready. Peter was ready. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does it, and it's so crazy. Why does this surprise you? Why are you shocked by this? Why are you so astonished? Uh, you just healed a guy. What do you mean? Why are you so astonished? Hey, why, why, are, why are you so surprised? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? Their natural reaction was, this clearly is some sort of holy man or, or two holy men. Like they're different. They just healed a guy. And his response is, why do you look at us like as though we're special? Well, you've done what never, like none of us have ever seen happen or done. So you kind of are a little special. He says, no, no, no. Why do you act like we did this in our name? And then he goes into the sermon and he talks about the history of the prophecies that lead to this point, right? He's going to preach the sermon we're preaching this morning. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. And then he does this. And man, I love the boldness of, of Peter. Here's what he says. He doesn't say they handed him over, that he was killed. He says this, you handed him over to be killed. You guys did this. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate. Though he had decided to let him go, they're giving him, he's given them a, like a history lesson that pro, just happened literally just a, a month or two ago. Hey, you guys remember this? You guys remember this? When you handed him over, you handed him over. Pilate was gonna let him go and you said, no, you had him killed. And then he continues, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be, be released to you. And then he says this statement that is, it's so paradoxical and, and, and it seems impossible, but it's what happened. He says this, you killed the author of life. The one who wrote life into existence is the one you killed. He was that one. Ooh, this wasn't just a guy. You killed the author of life, but... God raised him from the dead and we are witness of this. We've seen this. We, we saw what God did. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead and, and we were privileged to see this, this incredible moment. He continues, his sermon's not done. You, imagine you're in the crowd listening to this, by the way. You're just astonished. This guy just got healed and now you're getting accused of killing Jesus. <laughs> How could you do this? Jeez, oh, sorry, oh, we didn't mean it. And then it continues. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know has been, uh, was made strong. It is Jesus's name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can see. He goes on to say, listen, don't believe us at our word. If you are astonished by what we just did, here's how we did this, ready? It's through Jesus. This man was healed because of Jesus. The one, the one that came, the one that was talked about through all the prophets in the Old Testament, the one that, that, that would come to heal us, he actually just healed 
this man. Verse 17, now, fellow Israelites, he gives them an out. He gives them, he relates with them. I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets saying that this Messiah would suffer. He's giving them again a history lesson. And he says, listen, you killed him, but, but here's where I have a little bit of grace for you. You did so in ignorance, as did your leaders. You didn't know what you were doing. Jesus said the same thing. Father, forgive them. They don't know, they, they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing, that they are killing the author of life. Peter reiterates this and he says, you, you didn't know what you were doing, but you still did it. And then he says this, but this is how God fulfilled this, the death of Jesus, how he fulfilled what all of the prophets said. All of the prophecies that we, we looked at, what, three or four. There are, there are hundreds of these throughout the Old Testament. And, and he says, this is how God fulfilled all of these prophecies. This, this ribbon that's kind of weaved throughout all of the Old Testament, this red ribbon of forgiveness that is gonna eventually find its way to Jesus, he says, is weaved through all of these prophets that talk about what's coming and then he says, he says this, God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets saying that this Messiah, this, this Christ that you guys believe in or are waiting for would suffer and you actually made him suffer. You did it at your hands, but you did it in ignorance. And then he gives the, the final, this is his punchline. This is his main point. This is the sermon is leading to this point. Now, all right, here's what you get to do. Here's the response. Here's how you make that right again. Repent then and turn to God, here it is, so that your sins may be wiped out. So that your sins may be, in other translations say, blotted out. That may, they may be literally erased, covered up. Repent then and turn to God. These, these are people of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. These are people of God. These aren't Atheists, these aren't, these aren't people who are, who, are, who are anti like the God of the Bible. They're looking at the scriptures. They're, looking, they're memorizing the Old Testament. They're reading from very young age. They're reading and obeying Torah and the law. And, and he says this. He says, you repent. What? 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 But we're the people of God. We literally have a covenant with him. And he says, repent and turn to God because there's a new covenant now. You couldn't keep the old one. So God comes and he takes care of it for you. And now this new covenant, we find out, is about forgiveness. This is a radical shift. It's through faith in Jesus that we, we become heirs to these promises. And, and it's, not, it's not about like just simply admitting wrongdoing. It's not, repentance is not a mere acknowledgement of wrongdoing. It's, it's a radical shift, a turning away of your lifestyle to a new lifestyle. Repentance literally is a military term. And, and it, the, when they'll say repent, it literally means to turn around, like a 180 degree turn. So you're walking this way and they'll say repent. And that means, oh, it's time to turn around. We're walking the other way now. When, when he says this, this term of repentance, it isn't, I'm so sorry, God forgive me. That's fine. We, we, should, we should be praying for that. But that, that's, not, that's not what biblical faith looks like. Biblical faith, biblical trust is repentance, is saying, I'm actually following a new path. And this new path is the one that Jesus paved. I want that 
path. It isn't, I'm gonna keep doing what I want and God, you just forgive me when I mess up and make everything right. Just make my bank account right again. Like my, my, the debt of my sins, just make it right again, but I'm gonna keep living my life. I'm gonna keep doing what I wanna do. That's not the gospel. When, when you think that, if you think you're gonna live your life however you want and because God has love and forgiveness, he'll just forgive you, you don't understand the gospel. You've been in church, I don't know how many years, heard how many sermons, and you still don't get it. The gospel is repentance where you say, I'm actually picking a new path. And this new path is one in which I follow my new leader, Jesus. I've put my trust in him. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the, the, the Old Covenant, and now he's got this new covenant of grace and forgiveness. I'm walking in that. And it's no longer, when you do that, listen, this changes everything. When you do that, it's no longer about like what you want for your life. Who cares? Who cares? When you stand before God one day, he's not gonna ask you, did you get all what you wanted? Did you, did you live the kind of life you dreamed of? doesn't matter. He's gonna say this. Did you know me? He's gonna say, what did you do with my son? And here's the thing. Every time God asks a question, it's rhetorical. He doesn't need you to give the answer. He knows it. He just wants you to realize it. What did you do with my son? Not that he doesn't know. He knows. And your response is either, I don't know. I, you know, he seemed like a nice guy. I tried to live the best I can. He's, oh, man. Or your response is, oh, I gave my life to your son. I trusted everything to your son. I, I, I repented and, and walked the new path. I, I, it is all by your grace and your forgiveness. It's all what you did for me, God, and I rest in that. I am filthy rags before you. It is all because of Jesus. I have my hope fully in him. And then he says, and then he says, awesome, you get it. And we're told, Jesus tells us in that day, he says, all right, come on in and prepare everything that my father has prepared for you. Like you get to enjoy all of this. The church and, and Christianity and the gospel is, is, not, is not what you think it is. It's not a political movement. It's, it's not a way to dictate how you vote in an election. Listen, elections are important, but in eternity, who cares? When your soul is in balance, whatever. The gospel is not, is not a voting block. The gospel is a transformation of your life into a new person. And that starts, that's the gospel, and it starts with Christmas. <laughs> It starts with the season in which it's all songs and lights and all fun stuff and presents. And it can be so distracting because the gospel is really about the birth of this person who's going to come and start a new covenant who gives us hope, not in ourselves, not in political leaders, not in the, not in the future of like our culture or society, or who gives us hope in forgiveness because of the Son. The birth of Jesus is the culmination of God's plan. And here's the culmination. Here's God's plan, ready? To forgive you. That's what God wanted. That's why he did all this. That's why there's this red ribbon throughout all of the Old Testament leading to this son, to leading, leading to this Messiah that would come to forgive you. 
Paul writes about this in Romans, and he says this in Romans chapter six, verse 23. He says this, the wages of sin is death. What you deserve is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna uh, worship again here. But before we do, I'm gonna give us an opportunity. Some of us, you might have yet to put your faith in him to say like, all right, I really am repenting and trusting. I'm turning from my lifestyle, getting my way, what I wanted, like what I thought I was in charge of and instead say, no, no, no. I can't even begin to try to save myself. I need Jesus. So would you do this? Would you stand with me? And then I'm gonna pray with us and for us. So would you do this? Would you bow your heads as we get ready to pray now? Before we do, um, I wanna give you an opportunity, an opportunity to say, I wanna put my trust in Jesus. Not, this isn't blind faith. This is, this is a reasoned decision in which I am wholeheartedly, faithfully putting my, my trust in Jesus. Where you're saying, I want God, make me a new person. Save me from my old ways. Save me from the, the penalty and the consequences of my sin. And, and give me the forgiveness and grace and hope that can be found in Jesus. I want to live a new life as, like Paul says, as a new creation. If that's you, I wanna pray for you, but I also wanna just, I wanna see who this is. So no one else is looking. Just slip your hand up and, and I wanna know, all right, I, you want that, you want that. Yeah, 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 man, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So uh, a number of us had our, our hand up, and, and I imagine maybe some of us are just, you know, you're thinking about it. Hey, great, wonderful. But if you're at the spot where you're saying, I, I want it, I want, all right, I'm serious about this. I am serious about letting Jesus change my life. You can do so right now where you're at. You can just speak to him. You can, I'll even kind of lead you in a, 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 a sample prayer, so to speak, in which you can just say, I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak to you, Lord. Just where you are, you can say something like this. God, I admit that I am a sinner. That I am rebellious, that I have committed sins against you. And I also now, I believe that Jesus can save me. I believe his death on the cross can forgive me. I believe in his resurrection by your power. And I commit my life now to following you. Lord, I want to turn from my old lifestyle and I want to turn toward this new lifestyle of grace. Lord, for those who are making that decision and, and are praying that, I just want to pray your blessing and your favor over them. Lord, we love you and we thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Before we worship, we had a number of people who just decided to make a decision. Can we celebrate? <laughs> We're told that that's awesome.